everything is interconnected in the mission. Right. <laughs> if you're involved in the arts, you're involved in affordable housing, you're involved in the protection of small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so all those lives are interwoven here. That was Rodrigo Duran, Marketing Director at Calle 24 Latino Cultural District. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, Rodrigo picks up where he left off in part one. He went to Horace Mann Middle School in the Mission, where he met what would end up being his lifelong friends. He left those friends behind for a few years, first when he went to Lowell High, and then when he decided to attend college at UC San Diego. That decision was partly informed by the inspiration of his capoeira teacher, Carlos Asituno. Through the Portuguese program in college, Rodrigo ended up spending a year in Brazil and bringing that experience back to San Francisco and his work with Carnival. He ends this episode with some shout-outs, including one to his mentor, Carlos. Here's Rodrigo. So my parents got divorced when I was in middle school. I went to middle school here in Horace Mann. Okay. So I, from Chinatown, I moved basically started going to school here on uh, Bartlett right. in 23rd. Yep. Um, and uh, that was another culture shock because everyone was Latino there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I was just used to one, one environment. Now I'm here, great, right? I can really express myself, speak Spanish, speak English. Here's where I really met my lifelong friends Okay. in middle school. This and, is like early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. early 2000s. Um, and uh, we were all like a very lost tribe. Mm -hmm. uh, just the city just didn't have any resources. Mm. And there was violence. And then as you get a little older, some of your peers died or were killed, mm -hmm. you know, because they got involved in gangs. And, you know, I grew up with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't, I was never involved. My mom always made sure to kind of warn us but we were always exposed to it. we'd go to quinceañeras we'd crash quinceañeras with the gang members mm. because we were friends right. and then there would be the opposite gang showing up who's related to someone from the quinceañera so we were always kind of in the mix and it, yeah it got kind of crazy yeah uh but uh like the few of us that kind of like made it out uh we all look back and we're really thankful um that we met yeah um it's like five of us uh, because after middle school, I was accepted to Lowell High School. Okay. And so then, you know, I went all the way to the sunset. Right. Um, no one from, no one that was Latino went to Lowell High School except for me. Oh, wow. Only the, like, four other, three, four Chinese, two Filipinos that were at Horace Mann. Um, so, so I ended up leaving. Okay. I really, I detached myself from the mission at that mm. point because... I guess I was gonna say my parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade in mm -hmm. middle school, and my mom and my family we moved to Oakland. Okay. So I was living close to Lake Merritt. Got it. So I was no longer attached to the mission. Only during the weekends when my I would visit my dad on twentieth. Okay. Cap. Mm -hmm. um, so my life was really uh, the sunset. Um, uh, Lowell. Mm -hmm. um, I played classical music. For like oh. seven years so oh, what instrument uh the viola and the violin nice so i would go to after school orchestra um also in junipero Serra, sunset mm -hmm. and then go to oakland so my my like day started at like five in the morning and i had to commute 
you know, and then it um, ended. Bart. The, yeah, Bart, bus, yep. train, you name it. Yep. And then, um, then, depending on the day, if it was like rehearsal for for classical for music, it would end like at six seven. So like Bart back all the way. So I didn't have a life tired. in the mission. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how how I did it. I don't know how my mom did it. My mom would wake up at four thirty to cook breakfast for us. Right. I don't know where they get the willpower, and I. Because she was an adult, you're like, damn. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. fuck, a mother. Right. You know, it's yeah. like I don't know. I, I can barely wake up at seven. Right. <laughs> so those that chunk of uh, of how long were you living over there in Oakland? Yeah. So from seventh grade all the way till the end of high school okay so you stayed the whole time you were in high school you yeah. lived in oakland yeah Got and it. i was commuting uh with my siblings until i was 15 and a half and i was able to get a, a license right and so with that my mom didn't drive right you couldn't oh she not and then my older brother just never really cared and i don't know and so i just always felt the impulse like fuck like we got to figure this out. And my dad was very supportive. Don't get me wrong. My dad would go drive all the way to Oakland to pick us up right. and then drive us to school. Wow. But even then, like, that was not sustainable. And no. everyone was just trying to work it out. So when I hit 15 and a half, I got my li- driver's license. And my mom was the adult with a driver's license that would sit next to me to oh, make right. sure that, you know. So, you know, and that's how we made it. Like, like we got a car and I would drive everyone back and forth, back and forth. So nice. From that age till I graduated. So yeah. that was my life. And because of that, I didn't have a lot of contact with the good friends I made in middle school and the people in the mission. Cause you he, were the only one of y'all that went. Yeah. And my only kind of relationship again with the mission was Carnival when I would okay. perform with my dad in the parade. Right. But other than that, I didn't even have the time to yeah. like hang out with my buddies back from middle school. So I didn't really know too much what was happening. I would hear, mm-hmm. but I wasn't as involved and, and as present. Right. Yeah. So um, did you? So I'm assuming you graduated. I did from high school. Yeah. Okay. And I and I I went to UC San Diego. Okay. So that that was like the best deal. Tried to get into Berkeley. That was my mom's dream, and I was like, Nah, no, mom. Sorry, Berkeley didn't accept me. But I was happy to go to San Diego to kind of leave like the the world i was living in i mean personally like my family they're all great but it's all chaotic uh, my friends i don't know where they're at and so i decided to just go to san diego <laughs> for only two reasons so one um the mission cultural center i have to give him a shout out has mm-hmm. always been my second home okay um we would have aztec dance practices there mm-hmm. But as I got older, I got involved in salsa classes wow. in capoeira. And ca- I did capoeira for about six, seven years. Okay. And uh, my late mestre, uh, Carlos Aceituno, who played a huge part in my life, um, we did capoeira there. And I learned from there uh, Portuguese. Okay. And I learned about the Brazilian culture. You mentioned Brazil And earlier. heritage, right? Yeah. So when I was looking at schools, I, you know, first generation, I don't really know what to look out for other than i know it's a uc so it's fine right um was they had a portuguese uh department oh and it was close to the border okay and i was like you know i'm mexican so i get my taco fix hell yeah and i can take portuguese classes and then maybe my dream will come true of visiting that land that i had heard of growing up doing capoeira hearing the songs and not really understanding quite what they meant but um 
that, that was the only impulse to, to move to San Diego and study. I didn't know anybody over there. Um, so when you went to Brazil, were you still in college? Yeah. But can we hear that story? Yeah. So, yeah, took class for a year of Portuguese, and I moved to uh, Copacabana. Okay. And we... Uh, it's like just north of Rio? No, right? so it was in Rio. Yeah, it's, it's part it's of actually, Rio? No, it's, it's in the, in, in, right next to the beach, like the affluent part of Rio. Yeah. It's Copacabana, Leblon. Uh, you know, those are that's the strip, and they have those sidewalk tiles. Beautiful. I haven't been, but I've seen pictures. Beautiful it's like sidewalk, very unique. Well, they call it there. they name you know the, the nickname is Cidade Maravilhosa. Okay, marvelous city, city. marvelous city. They coined yeah. it themselves. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah, so well, true though. Yeah, it's a metropolitan city within a freaking uh, uh, forest in, in in a jungle. Right. It's <laughs> it's surreal. Okay. That's the best way of putting it. Okay. When you go up to a, like a mountain and you look at the city, mm. it's very surreal to see this juxtaposition of high rises and then the jungle interwoven. Right. right. So it is a cidade maravilhosa. Okay. So the the four people that that signed up to go to Brazil from UCSD, it was myself and three other Latina girls. We decided to book our flight on December thirty first. Okay. Because we wanted to spend the New Year's in right. Brazil. Right. And we land there. Like at 6 p.m., 12.31, and it's pouring rain, huh? and uh, we all stay uh, at a house. I was going to say like an Airbnb, but that didn't exist. A little early, yeah. Basically. But. And um, we all had to, we, we all packed our white apparel because everyone is dressed in white. Right. Uh, and you just feel it in the city yeah it's pulsating it's everyone's waiting for the new year yeah and then you start seeing people walking down the street like all dressed in white and of different shades like i was thrown off seeing like blonde looking man with african features with mm. blue eyes mm. tall to like indigenous mixed with asian mm. with in like the the color spectrum you know growing up in a household that we knew about colors and race in right. Latin America like to me that was a whole new world yeah because that's the first thing I noticed like mm -hmm. whoa there's all they say in Spanish colores y sabores all kinds of colors and flavors yeah and then it hits like close to midnight we're drinking caipirinhas yeah. we're getting ready and we go, we all go to the beach, like everyone in Rio does. Okay. And then you just see a sea of white folks. Mm -hmm. And then when it hits, like, you know, 12, everyone rushes to, to the, the ocean. Water. And they, yeah. they jump seven times. Oh. And th that's part of it. In Orisha, uh, Candomblé, Afro-Brazilian uh, religion tradition. Right. You know, where you give thanks to, to the, the god of water, the goddess of water. Okay. Uh, Yemanya. And so everyone, I'm there. I don't know really what I'm doing. I just know it's seven hops. So we all do seven hops. We all swim around and, and we call it a beautiful uh, uh, New Year's Eve party. And then they have stages on the beach. Mm -hmm. So they're just playing samba, selling food, drinking out in the open. And it was it was spectacular. It was really amazing. It sounds so I, I, like, I, I, I like relive it every other day. And just, yeah. That was, that, was, that was amazing. And so that, so you were in college, you must have been like, 20-ish. Yeah, 20. So, like Brazil, you know, it had a really profound impact in my life. How long did you stay there? For a year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was supposed to stay there for six months, okay. and I decided to extend it. 
So <laughs> like this down, works. Let's like do after this. three, four months, I was living in Copacabana mm -hmm. and I didn't really enjoy living there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone's really affluent. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But um, they were just kind of stuck up. Yeah. They didn't care about. I guess I wanted the experience like, oh, you're a foreigner. Cool. Let me get to know you. Mm -hmm. I did go with those expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. But um, they're just kind of like over it because they've traveled so much and they've seen Americans. They kind of seen some Mexicans and they're like, whatever. And they're just not the most, they weren't as warm as I wanted right. them to be. Then in, in one class, I met a gentleman, uh, Marcos Barros, who, who ended up being my best man in my wedding oh. last year. Um, we met, he was from uh, Jocinha, the largest favela in Brazil. Okay. And it's, it's literally right next to Leblon, the most affluent of place course. in Brazil, basically. Is that in Rio? Or? In Rio. Okay. It's still in Rio. Okay. Because I went to a, we went to a private school. Uh, right. It is a private university, so yeah. everyone was money there. But he wasn't, you know, so he came similar from the same background as I did in a separate country. Right. You know, not affluent, you know, uh, struggling to go, you know, to, 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 you know, trying to be the first person in his family to go to four-year university. So, uh, so we, we kind of... Uh, you know, we had a lot in common. And he said, you want to check out Josina? Check out the, the hood, the favela? I was like, yeah, check it out. And that was like another experience in and of itself. Was it up on the hill? That was up in the hill. Yep. It was not even a hill. It was a mountain, bro. Mountain, right, right, right. There's like 200,000 people living there. Right. It's not a, it's a city in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, one huge, two mountains like this. And it's all filled with little homes, mm -hmm. you know? and um a varying structural yeah oh degree. yeah of course yeah it's, yeah it's, you know and and uh, the way to get around was through little motorcycles so there were motorcycles all mm. all over the place and mm. that was like the moto taxis mm -hmm. and as you're passing by like I, I was trying to um take photos because i thought it was an amazing experience but my yeah. buddy stopped me from doing it because there's a bunch of people with ak-47s okay they rule the the, the favelas like the, the government didn't come in doesn't come in like, and so it's really ran by the drug lord at the time. Right. And, and you see it. People were just rolling up all kinds of drugs in front of you, table. There's everyone walking around with AK-47s. And I was just like, fuck. You know, like yeah. I've seen a few things in Mexico, but this was definitely outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I fell in love with it. Okay. With the people. Right. You know, the people that I met there. Right, right. And I decided to move from Copacabana to Jocinha illegally. Like I wasn't supposed to. Like the, the obviously UCSD would not approve. Right. And when I moved there, I don't know how they found out, but they tracked me down. UCSD they, did? Yeah, UCSD and then the, the university there tracked me down with other two people that also moved there from the program. Okay. And they're like, they pulled out a Google Maps and they're like, we know you live here. Jesus. And I was like, <laughs> No, I don't. How do you know that? It's like, no, we know. And they might have heard. And so we ended up giving them a fake address to like the area where we're allowed to live. Okay. And that's how I ended up staying in Jocinha without them really knowing that I was there. Uh, so you came like that close. That close. And then when I was there, not, I mean, I just, we had a fabulous time, like barbecuing with folks. We'd go to like the favela parties in these huge warehouses. And mind you, like, again, everyone's carrying a strap. Well, not every, like, all the drugs. So they, but they surround They're the dance there. area. Yeah. So. <laughs> You'd have to be very careful 
who you speak with and who you want to dance with. So right, right. I kept to myself. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm adventurous, but I'm not dumb. I'm not trying to mess with that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, those people really embraced me, the people in the favelas. What an experience. You know, I ended up teaching Spanish to uh, a, a pro- There was a program that was helping adults uh, get into a four-year university. Okay. And so I was like 20 teaching 35-year-olds how to like write and read in Spanish so that they can take their SATs, the Brazilian SATs, so they can pass and eventually make it to a four-year college. So awesome. I really had a, a full-on experience yeah. uh, in the favela. I, was, I participated in their bateria that uh that then perform at the rio uh uh carnival Carnival. yeah so were you already speaking fluent portuguese when i was there yeah so so teaching must have been yeah pretty it was was fine yeah yeah i mean i got i spoke portuguese sometimes oh yeah spanish and portuguese uh i would get them mixed up but they understood they were really welcoming and understanding but uh i saw carnival from a different lens so going back to here what i know about carnival seeing it there seeing how they build community around carnival mm-hmm. um uh, re- uh just kind of gave me a, a new perspective on what it means to build community what it means to right. without many resources create something beautiful yeah. i guess i do want to v- eventually hear about um did you graduate in, like were you in san diego when you graduated yeah so i did a year came back to san diego and graduated my fifth year i took okay and was it ever a question of whether you would come back to San Francisco? Like, did you consider doing something else or? No, I was I was looking forward to coming back to San Francisco. Okay. The culture in SoCal is very different. Yes. The culture of Latinos and Mexicans in SoCal is very different just because there, there isn't uh, as much uh, uh, diversity within the Latino community. It's mainly Mexican, so it's it's beautiful, but I just, I, I, I missed you know, just, I don't know. I, I I was just used to seeing different backgrounds, knowing about different backgrounds, and and I wanted to come back because of it. And what did you when you got back? What did you do? What did I do? What did you do before? Get us to Calle 24. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, did a little bit corporate, did a little bit of tech, mm-hmm. and then started volunteering Carnival San Francisco because in 2011. Carnival was gonna crash. Well, it mm. crashed really. Uh, it was uh, like the way of the the result of the the downturn of the economy in two thousand eight. Oh wait, yeah. You know, trick like the the effects of it ended up affecting Carnival in twenty eleven. The so they needed they needed uh, volunteers, okay. and I joined, became a volunteer, and I found my home in Carnival. Okay. Came back home actually full circle right you know right like uh the calling was always there and uh, went from one position to now just being the festival and parade uh director of carnival and here at calle um through my involvement in the mission um we everything is interconnected in the mission right <laughs> if you're involved in the arts you're involved in affordable housing you're involved in the protection of small businesses. Mm-hmm. And so all those lives are interwoven here. And we understand that just that we're all a web. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a network of people. It's not just no one's living in, in silos. Mm-hmm. Um, Immigration stuff, labor. Everything, yes. Yeah. 
Yes, and that's what makes this city so vibrant. Um, every everyone understands how things are interrelated mm -hmm. and how they they have an impact. There's a uh, I think what was happening here is this term called like we're being uprooted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you take either an institution or people and you pull them out of this neighborhood, you know, the effects of that is like a tree, right? You pull it, uproot it, and you see how the environment around it changes. Right. And how it deteriorates because of it. And so that was happening here. Mm -hmm. So being just involved in Carnival, doing the arts is never enough. It's not enough because you see your artists suffering. You see them being displaced. They don't have places to, uh, to rehearse. Me, myself, growing up in artist family, so I definitely understood that struggle. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got involved with Calle 24, mm. because uh, the mission is to preserve uh, and enhance the cultural assets that exist here in the mission. And the cultural assets are more than just buildings, right. more than just physical objects, and that's right. what we want to, to, we want the city and people to acknowledge that it, it's people, <laughs> it's art, it's things that, that are, are, you know, either physically you can hold or they're, what's the word, they're... Tangible? Tangible? Intangible as well, yeah. intangible yeah. objects, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know? It's language, it's culture. Families. And families. Mm -hmm. And so I became a volunteer for, the, for um, Calle 24, then jumped on their board, and I was a board member for about close to two years. Okay. Um, and I'm the type of person that likes to just jump in and build the plane as it flies. And even though the board was doing that, I wanted to do more. I really wanted to be hands-on and help uh, shape the narrative of the people and this district to folks that didn't understand us or didn't want to understand us. Right. So then I just, when uh, the position of marketing coordinator came up I asked the board if I can you know respectfully step down and you know, can I see if I can apply if that's okay with them and and they they thought it was all right it was fine so I had to step down then apply on my own and uh that was two years ago and it's been the best decision since because I can shape our own narrative you know who we are what we value and what's valuable mm -hmm. uh now through our website, through social media, and through word of mouth, and the cultural events that we produce, um, in a way, um, we're helping preserve those assets. Yeah. Right on. We can't what? not talk about Real City Ambassadors. Bum, bum, bum. Speaking of <laughs> full, full circle. <laughs> yeah. That's how this whole craziness started. Yeah, that's right. I know. I've been... Where did it come from? Yeah, so... I've been wanting to do a podcast for about two, three years. Mm -hmm. uh, first, I pitched it to Carnival, and we were just overwhelmed. We're over capacity. Uh, so we're like, ah, we can't do it. It takes time uh, and all that. Right. And then I was like, okay, maybe I can do it through this other medium. Just didn't work out. I said, well, I might as well just think about doing it myself, but never really did it um, until, of course, the pandemic <laughs> gets you thinking and you mm -hmm. have time to really think about life. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, the, the four buddies of mine that I went to middle school with, that I consider them lifelong friends, we were just once talking about, you know, the status of the city, the, its culture, uh, or lack thereof right now. 
and we wanted our voices to be heard and at first it was going to be something we'd all do together but we ended up we're, we all live in different places right now right so i said look i'm just going to carry the torch and i'm gonna try it i'm gonna do it and the real city ambassadors started off of us who are san francisco natives thinking about you know how we're we're each ambassadors to our city no matter where we are <laughs> and 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 we always uh try to uplift what makes the city so beautiful right and and there are so many voices and not no one podcast can cover all of them but each one of them can help really build this this uh canvas yeah or paint this canvas with with the beautiful colors of san francisco so i wanted to take that approach and expand it outside of even san francisco mm -hmm. to the bay area mm -hmm. because as a san franciscan our experience is not only uh not only here but in Oakland, in Richmond, in Vallejo, in San Jose, our music, our, our upbringing, and our experiences are tied because it's so small here. Right. And it shapes who you are. It's not only your neighborhood, it's not only your city, but the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I want to encompass all those cultures and, and, and have fun. How has the experience been for you? So far, you're up to like 10? 10. So? 10. Yeah, yeah. 10. Awesome. 10 episodes. And um, I commend you all. It's, it's, it's a labor of love, and I do love it. It's been, um, I don't think I've wrapped my head around it yet. It's, <laughs> it's cool. fresh. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, yeah, I yeah. like the episode that you talked about celebrating 49 episodes and looking back. Mm. Uh, I don't think I've had the time to do that yet, and I okay. think it's fine. I, I need more episodes, but. I've loved it. I've loved it from my first interview with Charlie to rapping Forte, who's a legend in yes, San Francisco. Yes. And that has a story on its own yeah. to, you know, our conversation, Jeff. And, and then just recently, the Trims Band mm. was a group that I've been following for three years, hailing from San Jose. They're a Chicano band playing alt-rock, punk, post-punk. So it's like out there. Yeah. But I've loved their music and I want to just get to know who were the people behind uh, a band so i love it because of that because um i can also tell their stories through my lenses and and that's power anything else before we wrap shout out to my mom shout out to carnival san francisco roberto hernandez who is the the artistic director and executive producer who's also supporting over 7,000 families weekly with the mission wow. food hub wow and you know carnival really spearheaded that project mm -hmm. with the Latino task force, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm saying this cause we're living dur uh, during COVID times. Um, Calle 24, my mama, my daddy. Um, Carlos Aceituno, um, for really, and I get really teary eyed when I talk about him and I always want to talk about him. He was my, my capoeira teacher and He's the type of person that didn't talk about different races getting along, mm -hmm. didn't talk about how we should, how we're all the same. He just lived it right. through example. Right. And I always wish he was still alive. He died, he was like 40, man. Mm -hmm. I was in high school. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a shock. Yeah, I'm sorry. How long ago was that? This was a so 2000 and 
six or seven. Okay. I apologize for not knowing. No, 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 that's fine. To my, to the folks who listen that are from the mission and, and whose lives he touched. Yeah. Because he was in Oakland and San Francisco his whole life. Mm-hmm. And I want to, he's like the standard for me. And I want to live up to what he did in the short amount of time he lived. He was just 10 years older than me. Right. So, shout out to him. That was Rodrigo Duran. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, we'll get to know Libby Truesdell and Brenda Buenviaje, owners of Brenda's Soul Food and Brenda's Meat and Three. Please join us for episode 44 next Tuesday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 140 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please check out our store, where in the month of December, we're donating proceeds of all sales to Supply Hope Info, a new nonprofit helping students with distance learning. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find our shows just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts, including most recently BFF.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, wear a mask, and stay healthy. is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.